One of the things that we love as human beings, we love to be right. When there's high emotions and people can't see the bigger picture, they suffer an awful lot through the processes, money-wise, mental health. They don't know what's on the other side. And they do live in that concept of if I'm right, you have to be wrong. The reality of it is that both people can be wrong. Both people can be right. All those concepts, good and bad, and things that we believe that they exist that way. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. And then you can work with that instead of invalidating each other, instead of trying to convince someone. And then you can just work with what the actual issues are instead of having that constant defensiveness. You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hello, welcome back. You're listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. I'm Lucy Dickens, and today I am joined by Lizana Eriks, who is a conflict resolution specialist and a mediator. Her business is called Life Mediation, and she's based in WA, just like me. We actually haven't had many Perth or WA-based guests on the show, so it's like it's nice to bring some people on from closer to home. Lizana believes that there's a lot of unnecessary suffering when it comes to conflict resolution, and she says that her mission is to reduce that. She does that in her work as a mediator, where she works primarily in the family law and workplace mediation spaces, uh, but she's also heavily involved in training people through conflict resolution skills, negotiation, and communication skills. So Lizana and I talk about those two things in today's interview, starting with a real understanding of the role that mediation has to play in our system and how that's changed over the years, particularly how it's become more prominent over the years and the advantages that we've seen as a result of that. And then we move into a conversation about the skills that we need to help resolve conflict as lawyers. What I really took away from this interview was that common theme that I find myself speaking about all the time these days, and that's on the need to focus on really truly understanding our clients, um, who they are and what their problems are, what they're really looking to achieve through this process when they come to engage us. Not just the surface level sorts of challenges that they might start by talking about, but really getting to understand the things that are underneath the surface, the kind of things that keep them awake at night that maybe they haven't yet shared publicly or with anybody else. The real challenge is because when we can understand what those things are, we're really in a better position to help our clients to really solve the conflict that they're, that they're dealing with. So that's a bit about the interview that we've got for you today. If you enjoy the podcast, please do hit subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would leave a rating and review. Uh, It helps other people find out about the show and I love hearing your thoughts. Otherwise, let's hit play. Here is Lizana Eriks of Life Mediation on the Doing Law Differently podcast. This episode is brought to you by Legally Yours, an online marketplace that connects clients to fixed fee and value-based pricing lawyers across Australia. For lawyers, Legally Yours also helps innovative legal professionals to connect and grow by providing business support services, education, leads and connections to other lawyers who operate beyond the billable hour. With membership starting from as little as $50 plus GST per month, join Legally Yours and find your tribe today. Visit legallyyours.com.au. Lizana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lucy. 
You're very welcome. I'm really looking forward to diving in actually to both the sides of your work. You work as a mediator, working directly with parties in family law and workplace mediation, but also in training others with conflict mediation, negotiation type skills. And I'm going to talk to you about both of those things. So I think you'll be able to offer us some interesting variety and perspective into doing law differently. So I'm very much looking forward to it. But before we begin, how about you give us an introduction to you? Tell us about who you are and about life mediation. So I started off as a lawyer. As you can hear by my accent, I was born in the Netherlands. So uh, that's where that accent and the name comes from. But when I did law, I recognized very quickly that I love the law, but I didn't like court. And I guess I got to a point that I was like, I think anything can get resolved in communication. And I got that really quickly because I didn't do much lawyering, to be honest. And then I moved to Australia and I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to try to continue on the law path because that's not really for me. So I did all my mediation training and I did counselling education as well. So I have both sides. So then I started doing mediation for working for non-for-profits and of course, getting all my experience up. And at one point I also realised that I wanted to do it my way, I guess, not because I think it's necessarily better. Well, maybe I do, I don't sure, but, but because it's, you know, when you work for a big organisation, often there's policies and procedures and it didn't always fit with what, how I thought clients would be served better. So in 2011, I opened Live Mediation and I started for myself. It was always a bit scary, I guess, in the beginning. But um, yeah, that went really well. And from there on, I guess my practice has very much developed. And me, as you said before, I teach at university now. I do consultancy, executive coaching. Uh, train people in negotiation and uh, so it's very much a combination and I guess what I love about it is that I do this because I always say to people you know a lot of people suffer so much through conflict um, through court processes and I see that suffering in mediation all the time so one of them is is for me to help clients when they're in the thick of that to really help them but the other work for me is very much about preventing people getting into those situations and really being able to have those skills themselves so they don't need me to come in and it's really satisfying but also keeps me really fresh because I get to do the work and then um, also not do that every day because on my own mental health, that can be quite heavy sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and I think the same goes for lots of lawyers as well. Like they have very, um, sort of training is a very different space to work in and I love both for different reasons. So, yeah, that's sort of uh, in a nutshell. I want to take you back to something you said right at the beginning, which was I didn't like court. What was it about court work that you didn't like? Yeah, I did commercial law at that stage. And I guess in general, for me, court doesn't resolve conflict fully. So if you go into negotiation theory and, and people's interests, you know, the substantive interests get dealt with. So, you know, the money or the time with the children or whatever, but the underlying issues just don't. So a lot of time when people are in relationships with each other, it will just keep popping up like the, the conflict will just come back so that's one so I think in mediation and communicating you can really add value for clients plus it's a very unpleasant process for people and very stressful and very costly and I just think communication is just just key to anything and you can have someone say to you well this is now what you're doing but I think most of the time and I can't say always because for some people it obviously and it is there for a reason I have nothing against court but I think for most people walk away dissatisfied from those processes. So it wasn't so much that it was the conflict you didn't like, it was that you didn't think it was the best way to resolve the challenges that your clients were facing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about conflict generally and about the stereotype that lawyers like 
conflict and like arguing and like that kind of two sides to the coin and a winner and a loser and those kinds of concepts. So that seems to be the stereotype. But mm. in my experience, I think there are two extremes to that. There are people who either love that kind of argumentative court-based part of the law and there are those that really don't like it at all and really try to avoid it. And so I guess what I'm hearing from you is that it's not conflict per se that you had an issue with, it was that you didn't like the system. No, that's right. And I think, and this is something that I say to people all the time, that conflict is great. Mm. Like, and I think a lot of people are like, sorry, what? But conflict, if you if you look at what happens in the world or society or, I don't know, Martin Luther King, or when change occurs, there's normally conflict that starts. It off. Someone makes a stand for something and people don't like that. Conflict occurs, but conflict creates innovation, communication, problem solving, and the other thing, and that's what I love about mediation and, and not doing court processes, when you are able to work through a conflict with someone, then you now know that you have that relationship with that person. So next time it's not so hard mm. and the relationship actually improve a lot. And particularly in family law, when people have to bring up children together, like that's incredibly important. So I think conflict is great, which is maybe a bit strange. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago about conflict in business, so between business partners, and the author of this article was saying that conflict between business partners can be a good thing. And often when business partners find themselves in conflict, provided they can obviously deal with it in, in the right way, they end up in a much better place because they've not only been through that, but they've kind of come to a conclusion that's better for business. And so this author, I can't even remember the name of the article, but was saying the same thing, that we shouldn't shy away from conflict and we should just face it head on and deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing about conflict is um, at least it comes to the surface then. But in my yeah. experience, when I go, because I go a lot to businesses to help businesses out, work through some stuff, but it's underlying that anyway, under the surface. And I don't know about you, Lucy, but I rather know what I'm dealing with than having this underlying gross like oh you know what is this and at one point it just explodes or people leave the business or it's very ineffective so it's it's really great if people are able to speak up to say this is what the problem is and then you can just deal with it and see if you can resolve it you've just given me an interesting thought because I've often said in the past that I don't like conflict I want to avoid conflict but actually listening to you put it in that way I don't think that's true I think I don't like unresolved conflict I think Mm. I don't like it where we just kind of pretend it doesn't exist or we ignore it or we avoid it yeah that's just a little side note about the kind of light bulb moment that's just gone on inside my brain but moving on with the interview questions (laughs) uh, speaking about conflict you've said that you think there's a lot of unnecessary suffering involved in conflict resolution so what do you mean by that and what do you see well, I think this is a human trait. So for anyone listening, everything I'm saying goes for me as well as a human yeah. being. So I think one of the things that we love as human beings is we love to be right and we hang on to being right. And, and when I do a lot of my training, I talk a lot about perception because that will be a big concept that we might not unpack today in this interview, but it's really around it's like there's things in your brain and your body and the bottom line is you can't see the same thing as someone else. It's not possible. But somehow we all want to convince everyone else about that our view is right and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And people sometimes are not willing to let go of it and they argue that for that and that alone and at all cost. And I think when there's you know high emotions and people can't see the bigger picture that they suffer an awful lot through the processes, money-wise, mental health. Like I, think pe- I don't think people sometimes relate to conflict in the way of going, well, how is this actually impacting me? Like, what would life be like if I wouldn't have this conflict in my life? When you just talked about unresolved conflict, people go to bed with it, they get up with it. 
it's all consuming and that's in business and that's in family. So that's, I guess, the suffering I talk about. And if you'd learn to deal with conflict effectively, and like you said before as well, like you just go and deal with it head on early, go and have those conversations, then you can move on. And it's, and it gives you so much more energy, peace of mind, and, you know, you have a lot more space in your life. And it sounds maybe a bit airy-fairy, but that's my experience. I don't have a lot of conflict in my life or because you've got to practice what you preach. But I do have a lot of conflict in my life, but I deal with it all the time. And that's the other part of it as well. I don't find it necessarily easy to do that. I do this for a living. And I don't go, oh, yeah, I can't wait to have this conversation, <laughs> right? I, I have to muster up the courage and put on my big girl pants and go and have these conversations. But because I've done it so many times and I know what's on the other side. So that's when I talk about the suffering. I think people don't know it. It's not because they're being necessarily stubborn. It's because they're being awful. They don't know how to resolve it and they don't know what's on the other side. And they do live in that concept of if I'm right, you have to be wrong. The reality of it is that both people can be wrong. Both people can be right. All those concepts, good and bad, and that's all the stuff I talk about in my trainings. They're all a conversation and I culturally or things that we believe that they exist that way, and I, I don't necessarily agree with that. And I think if you can let go of these concepts, if you can go, oh, my God, someone else has seen something different and they can't actually help that, let's just find out what they've experienced. This was my experience, and then you can work with that instead of invalidating each other, instead of trying to convince someone. It gives you so much more freedom and then you can just work with what the actual issues are instead of having that constant defensiveness and and just yeah, not wanting to listen to each other because everyone's like no this is what happened and this is how we're going to do this does that make any sense yeah definitely absolutely it does have you seen the profession as a whole have you seen a change in the approach or the attitude towards mediation over the last few years Oh, definitely. I think it's grown a lot. So, and of course, over East, uh, it was already a lot more than it was here in WA. But I think definitely, and obviously the court has made it mandatory for family law. It's very much becoming the norm. And, and in Western Australia also, we have uh, the Supreme Court has amazing mediators, they're, in, uh, they're judges, and they come to my lectures often. They say they do about 1% of their cases they litigate, the rest are mediated all out. So, Absolutely. I think most people are on board with it now and see the value in it. And I don't think that was the case 10 years ago. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I don't do a lot or any court work myself personally, but I see all the time a lot. There seems to be a, a much bigger shift towards collaborative practice. Even before a court action has begun, there seems to be a, a move towards, well, let's see how we can resolve this without even going through the court process or doing mediation as part of that. But let's just do it ourselves before we even get to that point. I'm seeing that more and more all the time. Yeah, and I think what, what you pointed out before, I think some people think that lawyers always want to argue and, and do that. From my experience, a lot of lawyers also want to collaborate and yeah. they really want to do things for the clients. They want to give their clients more value. And also people like resolving things. It is when I teach at uni because they're all so excited about the subject and I actually show them articles about that it is good for your mental health as a lawyer to have these conversations of hope and collaboration and not always just, there's nothing wrong with arguing a position for a client. But if, you know, you do that all day, every day, and you battle all day, that's also very tiring for a lawyer. So I think a lot of lawyers actually really enjoy it. Is it time for you to do law differently? So many of the lawyers I speak to know that they need to change the way their business operates, but they don't know what to do and in what order. If you want to regain control of your business and get back your life, my Productize and Profit program is just what you need. 
It's a comprehensive 12-week program designed to guide you step-by-step to reshape your firm and regain your life. There are over 50 online e-learning modules, insights and tips from industry experts and law firm leaders on topics like pricing, productizing, marketing and technology, interactive webinars and of course one-on-one coaching from me. The next program is starting soon and numbers are strictly limited. Find out more and register your interest at lucydickens.com.au forward slash program. So speaking of lawyers enjoying it and the kind of skills we need to be better at uh, negotiation and conflict resolution, actually, before I ask you about how we can do better, where do you see us going wrong? What kind of things do you see lawyers doing that you think, yeah, this isn't heading in the right direction for a collaborative approach to conflict resolution? Hmm. Well, there's several things. I think one of the things is the communication between the lawyers before the sessions. I think it's really important. Some people are really good at that. Some people are not. And you create already a really a setting that no one is comfortable in. So, you know, I would say if you're a lawyer, just pick up the phone and call the other party and the other lawyer. And just if you don't know each other, I mean, a lot of lawyers, lawyers do know each other. So then it might not be necessary, but just pick up the phone and say, hey, how are you? This is who I am. Or just like, that's what I do before mediations with the lawyers that I work with if I haven't met them before. So I think setting the tone. So sometimes people already start off with a kind of um, nasty kind of letter or something like that. So my advice, please don't do that. That's not helpful. So that's step one. And the other one would be to, when you do mediation, with a lot of mediators, we want to know what the underlying issues are. So lawyers have to get comfortable with a mediator doing that with their clients and some lawyers are really great with that other lawyers almost stop their clients from speaking or they want to speak for them the reality of it is the lawyer it's not their life so they don't know what the underlying issue maybe the clients have told them right but you never know what a client's going to say and I think for a lawyer that can be nerve-wracking because you don't know what your client is going to say but at the same time that's also really where the resolution can lie so uh, as a lawyer just get comfortable being uncomfortable I guess and let your clients speak and of course, you're there to advocate them. But if I can't figure out what's happening and, and the lawyer interrupts everything, then I it's really hard to do my job. There are people that go in really hard or and a client um, doesn't know what the impact is going to be on the other side. And I think particularly in family mm. law, people are extremely traumatized in a space that they're in, right? So they get a letter like that and it just like, it, it's actually really scary for them. So I think it's really important that there's some kindness there's lots of great lawyers that I often work with and they're really frank with their clients and they say, well, this is the, if you go down this route, these are going to be the consequences. This is going to be the cost. So because clients don't know these things. So I think if you're in it, for, you have to be in it for the right reasons. And sometimes clients don't know that problems exist until the lawyers tell them. And part of it is they have to get legal advice. I get that. But I also think it's, I always say to my clients, legal advice is super important. You have to have it, but it's your life. And you get to make the decisions yeah. because I think sometimes clients flip it on their head and they go to everything to their lawyer and say, what should I do? And the lawyer then goes, well, do this. And it's not necessarily bad advice, but it might not actually fit the situation because the client knows what their life's like and how the other person is going to respond and, and things like that. So I just think the whole, particularly family law, uh, uh, sometimes you need to be have strong lawyers that really advocate for you, but I would just never start like that. And I think that's one of the mistakes that gets made. It's going in hard and then it's the same with any negotiation. If you go in too hard or you ask too much money or you go way out of scope, you really offend the other party and now you're on the back foot and then you have to backpedal from that. 
and that can take ages or it's so bad that you lost the entire negotiation. So what are some of the skills that we need then? How do we make sure that we are advocating for our clients but at the same time kind of finding the balance between that and going in too hard or recognising these other needs in our clients' lives? I think it's important to ask questions and this is where you're going to need some soft skills is to really go, what's, what's really important to you here? What's this about? So for a lot of people, it's about moving on, peace of mind, having good relationships. So none of that is the actual money or the actual time. So as a lawyer, when you get really good and also finding out those underlying issues, also then you don't get surprised when you're mediation because you know about it. And then also really listening to the other side without interruption and going, what's really important? The best lawyers I work with, and some of them are absolutely brilliant, they go and ask the other party in mediation, say, so what's really important to you? Tell me about that. And then the other party gets to talk and they get listened to by the other lawyer and the other client. And then you can make an offer that can cover both parties if you can. So it's not always possible, but if you do that, just that alone, just listen, don't interrupt it. And then you figure out what's important to both clients and then you base your offer on that. And that might not be, you know, because people say I'm entitled to that or the maximum I can get. And maybe that's not that then, right? But it means that it can get resolved and get your head around interest-based negotiation instead of positional-based bargaining because lawyers get taught to do positional-based bargaining or pretty much anyone does. And that's the bargaining that you see on Gumtree, for example, just to keep it simple. But Lucy, if you want to sell a bed for $100, how much are you going to put it up for? 100 or maybe a bit more. Yeah, you probably put it, you probably yeah. put it up for 50 or something, right? Because yeah. you're going to go. And then someone wants to buy it for $100, but they start with $50 and then you just bag until you get to the hundred dollars and and it's horrible but it's also horrible but also everyone knows everyone is doing it yeah. so it's not a secret what's happening so it's almost a waste of time and the other thing is is that if you go too far so you you offer twenty dollars then someone might say well i'm not talking to you anymore so that's the other risk and if you're really going to go well what's and the bed is a terrible example but if you really look at what's really important to these clients and they can be in any context of any law then you can create offers that really work for them. So tell us then about interest-based negotiation. So interest-based negotiation is you do need a little bit more skill for them for positional-based bargaining. So basically what you look at is what is underlying, so what's important to people. So, for example, in a family law context, someone could say, I want 50-50 care of my children, right? And if that's what a client says to me, I have one option, 50-50 care. That's the only thing that they want. But when I go and talk to them, because that's the other thing, clients don't always know what the interests are that they are interested in. So when I, for example, I unpack that in intake, we talk about it, and then I figure out that someone says to me, I'm just really afraid to lose the relationship with my kids. And now I have a million options to resolve that and not just one. And I go, okay, so what could that look like? So you see the difference and that's, so you sort of, we call that in negotiation land, you know, expanding the pie. So you're not having a little pie, you cut in half, you're expanding the pie. And, and the other example that gets used a lot is, you know, about an orange, so positional based bargaining, you cut it in half and you compromise. And then often neither of the parties are completely happy because everyone had to give in. But if you do interest-based negotiation, you look at what's underlying and maybe one person wants the juice and one person wants the peel, and then you can both have 100%. I guess that's the concept of that. So you look at three kind of interests. So you have substantive interests. So that's the money, the, the, the time of the kids, whatever it might be, psychological interests and procedural interests. So when you are in a negotiation and something 
is not going anywhere and the offer is really good, you can bet that it's the two other interests that are at play. So mm. an example of an example could be someone cheated on someone and the other person is like, well, you can just suffer a little bit longer. <laughs> I'm not going to accept this. Or <laughs> what I talk to businesses about a lot is, you know, employees ask for pay rises and there's nothing wrong with a pay rise. However, often what's underlying is something like, I don't feel valued in this business. So you can give those people a pay rise and six months later, you're having the same conversation again. So it doesn't mean they don't want a pay rise. All these interests are equally valuable, but if you don't resolve the whole thing, it's just going to come back. So that's the difference between positional-based bargaining and interest-based bargaining, interest-based negotiation. Great explanation. Thank you. I think one of the things that I really like about this approach is about how much time is spent on really understanding people's needs and working out exactly like you've said it's not necessarily the time with the kids it's the relationship that's more important and I think that's something that regardless of what area of law we practice or whether we're dealing in mediation or not I think that's something that we all need to keep front and center in the work that we do and that we probably don't do enough of I think it's easy to take people on face value when they come and they say this is what I want and we can all be reminded that actually we should stop and pause there and spend some time actually asking a few more questions and trying to dig a bit deeper to really understand a client's problem so that we can then help them in the best way. No, absolutely. And like I said before, in my experience, most people tell me what they want. That's what they start. And then when we unpack it, actually it's about something completely different and, and they might not be aware. And I think mm-hmm. the other thing, and this is where as a lawyer, you can create so much value for your client is people just want to be heard. They like to have a seat on the table. Often when they go through a court process and then a judgment come down and there's been a barrister involved and lawyer, at one point they get it back and they're like, that doesn't actually look like my life story anymore. You know, who is this about? If that makes any sense. So it's, it's not because they did a bad job, but because they are not the people that it's about anymore and they don't get a say. And for people to be heard and just to, to have a voice is really, really important to people. Yeah. A common theme that I'm speaking a lot about lately is about broadening our focus. So we're not just looking at the legal issues and we're looking beyond that to all the other things that are important in a person's life. And this is all part of the same conversation, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's where you can create value and people just feel validated as well. Because at one point, I think sometimes they get dismissed. And that's the other thing. And I have to watch this as well as a mediator. And I think as a lawyer, when we do this day in and day out, it also becomes quite normal or you think you know, or you've heard it before and that kind of stuff. So you sort of switch off and go, yeah, yeah, and I heard that before moving on. Or, or you forget how hard it is for the client. That's why often I role play client roles just to remind myself of, how difficult it is when people sit on that table because we do it all day, every day, right? Yeah. Um, but for the people that you're dealing with, this often is one of the most important parts of their life or the whole life is upside down because of separation or the business that they've been working on for 20 years is under attack or whatever it might be. For them, this is so, so important. And we need to treat it with that importance and really need to make sure that they are taken care of throughout the process. And it's a really different perspective, isn't it? I was speaking to a family lawyer actually recently who told me, who went through her own separation and she said she was amazed at how that just completely changed her perspective on family law. She'd been for years representing people in the family law courts and then all of a sudden when she was on the other side, she said it was just a complete, I knew what the process was, I knew what was going on and for me it was the most difficult thing I had ever done in my life. So it really changed her perspective when she did get to sit on the other side and see things from a different point of view. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I supported my, not a lot of people know this actually, I supported my husband through because he has a daughter um, through a mediation process and it was very good for my practice and yeah. difficult to, to watch and uh, support even with everything that I know. So how do people do this when they don't even know the process or they got no clue about what's going on and trying to figure all that out? Yeah. So if you had to summarise, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do law differently? That's always the question I end up with on this podcast and you can take it in whatever way you like. Well, one of the first things for lawyers, I think I would say, look after yourself really well. So you make, because I think sometimes because everyone does it every day, they don't look after themselves and then you can't look after your clients. So if you want to be there for your clients and completely listen and completely um, validate them and, and have the importance that we all talked about today, I think the first thing is to really make sure that you are okay as well and that you have someone to talk to because the issues that lawyers deal with are often quite heavy. So that will be my first thing. Make sure that you always look after yourself and be mentally prepared for the job. And then I think it's just listening would be my my second tip. Just listen mm-hmm. to people because human beings are problem solvers and lawyers in particular because that's yeah. what you get hired to do. And sometimes you need to let people just finish without solving any problems, without doing anything. Because first of all, what they feel heard is really valuable for them. But if you stop them and constantly try to resolve a problem, you don't get the full story. And that's where you're going to get the underlying issues and that you can filter out the things that are important to them. And the same with the other side, just listen to them. Don't try to interrupt it. Don't try to defend your client. Just hear it out and then you can go from there. I think that's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Lizana. Thank you, Lucy. I had a great time. Are you a lawyer who needs CPD? I've teamed up with Law CPD to make that task easier for you. Law CPD provide premium CPD for Australian lawyers and they offer so much more than just another webinar. Law CPD's courses are online, on-demand, interactive learning. Law CPD are offering Doing Law Differently listeners $25 off of their first purchase using the code DLD25. There are over 100 courses across all competency areas, so visit lawcpd.com.au to find your next CPD course and make sure you use the code DLD25 for your $25 off. That's all for today's episode of the Doing Law Differently podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to do law differently and you're looking for some guidance and inspiration to help you along the way, then get your hands on my book, It's Time to Do Law Differently, How to Reshape Your Firm and Regain Your Life. You can get it on my website, lucydickens.com.au forward slash book or on Amazon or Booktopia where you'll also find the ebook versions too. Don't forget to leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast and be sure to tell your friends and let other people know too. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.